Welcome to another episode of the Hyper Growth Podcast. Today, I sit down with Laurent Lafie, founder and executive chairman of Seed Legals. I'm your host, Tiffany Monahan. Let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Grow by SAP, a program designed for hyper growth company needs to power tomorrow today. To learn more, check the link in the show notes. Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm Laurent, I'm French. Uh, I uh, have a background as, a, as an investor for more than 20 years and I uh, founded Feed Legals uh, in 2016. Could you talk about how you came to the idea of Seed Legals and why you founded it? Well, uh, I was a VC before for many years. And as a VC, I had to manage uh, a team of juniors uh, on doing the deal. And uh, there were relationships with some law firms. And uh, I was very uh, frustrated because uh, it, it took a very long time. And uh, um, I thought at that time that uh, it would be fantastic for a partner in a VC firm to have a checklist of terms uh, so that we don't have to read like the long form document, but just focus on inputs that, uh, that, that are going into those documents rather than uh, having to cope with uh, all the outputs. And, uh, and that's basically uh, the idea. The idea of seed legals is, is making, making the legal uh, documents easy, uh, focus on the input, and we take care of the output. Yeah, so, so, so basically, after uh, I was a full-time business angel and I was uh, uh, working with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs uh, sitting on the board, and, and basically, I realized that I was not the only one having that frustration that uh, on every side of the table, whether you were an investor or an entrepreneur, there was a lot of frustration. You didn't know why you were paying so much. You, were, you didn't know why it took so long. Uh, entrepreneurs didn't understand often what they were signing. Um, and, uh, uh, and so basically there, there was a shared frustration that needed to be, uh, that needed to be automated. On top of that, um, from a perspective as a board member with a large portfolio of companies, you realize that there were uh, a, a lot of uh, things that they were all doing repeatedly. Uh, whether it was things that were dealing with the funding or their runway, uh, or uh, things that uh, that was to deal with uh, with the, with the talent and the management of their of, of their teams, they were all doing again and again the same thing, um, several times within a lifetime for 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 uh, for a startup, and across startup uh, all doing the same thing. So I, I thought the industry was uh, ripe for automation. Uh, and we decided to start on the funding, uh, on the funding because it, it is one of the most urgent and, 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 and of the most stressful uh, processes that an entrepreneur has to go through. And so if we're able to relieve that stress and pain, uh, we're doing a fantastic job and we earn the trust of the entrepreneur. And that's what we do. Brilliant. And so going back to your experience then as a VC, as an investor, and where you had companies within your portfolio, and you mentioned that you had a checklist of things that you would often go through and that became repetitive. Was that checklist items for 
going through different rounds of funding? Or could you tell us more about maybe what that checklist was? Yeah, I mean, when, uh, you know, the way an investment works is you, you have a term sheet. The term sheet is an agreement of the summary of terms uh, between a company and uh, the investor. And so uh, generally, it's much better to have a, a, a quite uh, comprehensive uh, list of terms so that you make sure that you agree upfront and you don't have a disagreement down the road after everybody has done the work. And so that is the checklist I'm talking about. Uh, and clearly in that checklist, there are things that are more or less important. So probably you have like, you know, around, around 10 things that come top of the list. And, and this is that key checklist. So when you're a partner uh, in a VC firm, you want to make sure that um, all the key things that can have a big impact on the road are going to be uh, treated, are going to be addressed and are not going to be forgotten. So when you have junior people uh, who work on the deal, you know, if they are doing the work, uh, you have two ways to, to, to do it. Either you have a guarantee that the, the checklist is there and well implemented, or you have to read the document. So the checklist approach, approach is much better. Um, and that checklist, you know, is also very useful because if you use the same checklist on the entrepreneur side, um, then it becomes an education process for the entrepreneur because they, they can take one term after the other uh, and uh, understand because, you know, we have a lot of uh, hint text, uh, you know, in a, uh, accompanying each question or each, each term and they can really understand what the term is about and they can ask us questions uh, on uh, what the term is about and make sure that when they sign something, um, they understand wh what it is. Uh, and so that level of transparency that we bring is something very important for entrepreneurs. I I'll quote one, one, uh, one of the entrepreneurs we worked for and he said, what's fantastic about illegals is you remove the veil of opacity uh, which is on the process and that and that's exactly what we do so for different kinds of startups then who are going through and creating their term sheet do you think more or less the terms and that checklist are the same for each startup so that it becomes like a, a framework or like a template approach so definitely the list of the terms is going to be the same uh, what's going to change is how you address each of those terms. And so on each of those, of those terms, you're going to have a range of possibilities. Some will be more uh, entrepreneur friendly, some will be more investor friendly. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it depends on the bargaining power of the parties. Uh, so the deal can go any deal can go in any way, uh, you know, it can go left or right. We try to promote and push for a fair deal, which generally ends up in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but we are aware that uh, a deal can always can always end up, uh, you know, on the entrepreneur side or on the investor side. If, if an entrepreneur has a, a lot of uh, investors who are waiting and too many investors compared to what they want to raise, they're probably going to have better terms. Uh, and similarly, if you only have one investor, it's likely that that investor will be able to dictate the terms. This is, this is interesting. So if it's a startup has a number of different investors and the investors are 
are negotiating the terms within seed legals and the startup is as well is there tools to facilitate kind of like a group collaboration or is it um you really keep your terms with one investor the other investor etc well currently up, up to now we have focused more on the entrepreneur side mm -hmm. so uh, and in very early stage deals you have uh uh, a, a lot of business angels who are more pragmatic and more relaxed uh, about who is leading the deal. So the entrepreneur can actually control the term sheet process. Uh, now we have something that we call the deal manager, where uh, investors also can put the, the, their own term sheet uh, on the table. And what we want to promote is exactly what you say, is basically a process where both parties understand their differences during the negotiation. So, so in a way, we, we, we would make the gap uh, in the positions very clear. So people would know right away what they have to negotiate, where there are the biggest gaps, uh, and what they, have to, uh, what they have to negotiate. But this is something which is not live yet. One of the things I noticed about Seed Legals was um, that you could come as an angel investor. And it, do you see that there's maybe an opportunity for individuals to invest with a, a startup using seed legals, or is it more for established VCs and investors? No, absolutely not. Well, you have to understand that 97% of the deals done every year in, the, in, in any country uh, are very small companies. And basically, we're talking about deals that are maybe less than 500,000 uh, pounds. Uh, so they are small deals. And so this is the realm of, uh, uh, you know, friends and family for the very, very small deals and business angels for, for those, those deals that are like at a couple of 100,000. And suddenly, when you come to maybe 300, north of 300,000, you start seeing uh, small VCs. Uh, and then uh, towards a million, you start seeing big, bigger VCs, uh, 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 you know, in the loop. And of course, you have incubators as well, who are very early. So it is already the case that business angels uh, are uh, investing and, and basically uh, leveraging seed legals to, to, to close their deals. You mentioned incubators as well. So, uh, yes, we have some relationship uh, with uh, some... Uh, incubators or accelerators or schools. Uh, so the uh, one of the visible one is uh, Entrepreneur First, uh, which uh, uh, which is basically educating uh, 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 entrepreneurs out of uh, university uh, uh, to to start their own company, to match teams, and then start their own company. And uh, um, uh, Entrepreneur First is currently managing the onboarding of their cohorts uh, using the Seed Legal platform. Mm -hmm. So we, again, we accelerate and make easier the, the onboarding of, of, of you know, the, 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 the high number of uh, companies or projects that they, that they're backing. Yeah. I, and, and, and we, and we believe that uh, it's something that uh, is a recurring process. So entrepreneur first is one, but we have uh, many other uh, incubators that are onboarding uh, on our platform. And, and we believe that there are more services that, uh, that could be very useful for incubators. In particular, uh, they spend uh, a, a, a very big amount of time uh, uh, 
on selecting their companies. And, and, and so basically when you have a solution that can help them scale that selection, that's something that should be very useful. And uh, that's also something we will be working on in the future. And, and then, so the repeatable process is very interesting and it's a, of course, a great way to identify an opportunity where you can establish an, an offering as, as part of seed legals. And I know that you're backed by real lawyers. So how is seed legals working with law expertise and bringing that into the product in a way that's collaborative? Basically, in, uh, in legal documents, you have, uh, you have a lot of expertise. Part of the expertise is commercial, is, is, is how to negotiate you know, a deal and what makes sense to negotiate at what time. Part of the expertise is legal. So on, on very legal points, you know, what, are, what is the position of the law? Uh, of the law, I'm, uh, sorry for my accent. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so basically we're trying to bring that combined expertise, which makes us a bit different from a law firm, uh, because having negotiated hundreds of deals, you know, we, we understand how the dynamic plays between the various parties uh, and, and how in certain situation you should go for a certain answer on that particular terms versus another one, right? All our customer service people generally have a law degree. So they all have a, a kind of, uh, you know, legal education to, because our product are very exhaustive when, uh, you know, you're familiar with the experience curve. So when you, you know, when, when you, when you have a high volume of uh, products, uh, your your expertise is uh, is is going uh, is going up very rapidly, and so because um, we we have uh, customer service people going with the entrepreneur through an exhausting an exhaustive uh, uh, list of terms, they end up being becoming expert on each of those terms, right? Uh, and uh, and in a way. They, they end up going through that specific list of terms much more than junior lawyers in a law firm uh, who would have to, who would be much lower because they would go live through those expertise and, and the life expertise of going through a deal in a law firm is often taking six months. With us, it takes, it takes a few hours. So you can, you can do many more and we already have a much, uh, a much larger volume. So very quickly, uh, uh, you know, people who have gone through six deals, they probably are, are almost already experts, right? So, um, and uh, so, so that's one thing, our customer service people uh, are, are, are getting very strong, not only in guiding the customer, but on 95% uh, of the questions asked, uh, they are able to, uh, to be very accurate with the client. And on the remaining 5%, we have a legal team. So where there we have like qualified lawyer and actually more and more, uh, we have qualified lawyers who come from magic circle firms uh, who are basically addressing the more, the more difficult uh, issues that, uh, or questions or, or things that may not be in the documents uh, that uh, that on on the on the automated documents, but uh, but there is you know an extra need that is going to be added and coded in the document, which means that 
because we and sometimes you know external lawyers who uh, uh, are helping uh, our clients um, they're going to spot something and they're going to say well i would like this to to be more like that etc and and we're going to take that into consideration so the the platform keeps you know upgrading itself uh, so it means that that you know the backbone of our documents have been reviewed by thousands of people uh, a lot of them being uh, extremely competent in the legal domain the tool itself then is always evolving as maybe the law or the needs of the companies and vcs are evolving as well i think that the the reason why it works is because we have documents that are near standard so it means that yes they are fully customized but it's customization around a, around a defined process and and uh, in the uk you have you, you even have standard document you have the bvca document which are the whole legal industry is using the bvca as a as a reference to all documents they look at and and all document have also taken bvca into account uh, when when being uh, set up basically and and so then this near standard document you are in france in the uk in ireland and in each of the countries that you look to expand to as well have different regulations and different standards so how is, does your team overcome the challenge of establishing that baseline in each region that's a very good question because it's very different in the uk and and uh, in uh, the and on the continent uh, in the UK, uh, there was a kind of deregulation that happened, uh, which means that uh, you can, uh, you don't need to be a regulated entity uh, to be uh, to give uh, legal advice, also to talk to clients in a way. Oh. Uh, whereas, whereas in uh, in uh, in other countries like France or Germany or Sweden, uh, uh, you need to you need to be regulated which means that we have to organize ourselves differently with independent lawyers. So they are contractors rather than employees. Uh, and we uh, are, are more open to uh, partnerships, especially with uh, uh, boutique law firms who understand that the legal tech is, uh, is here to stay and is going to, to grow in the future. So legal tech, what is the perception of the lawyers that you work with on this because it, it's in the past been said you know like doctors lawyers they're never going to be hit by tech and by innovation what's really interesting is is when you have a lawyer speaking in a professional environment they're always going to say yes it's legal it's a nice template right uh, but when you talk to them individually they're all saying this is the future so uh, so that's that's very interesting but <laughs> I have to say that we, you know, we're still a young company, you know, we're, we're like four years old, we're about 100 people. Uh, uh, but now we, we see a number of people coming from magic circle law firms, uh, which is very impressive. A lot of them uh, continue to do some uh, legal work, but a lot of them also want to work in legal tech to do other things. You know, to uh, you know, they, maybe they have been you know burnt doing only uh, legal work, and they want to do business development. They want to do uh, you know uh, country management. Uh, they want to do product management. So so so, and we uh, 
you know, in, in the last uh, few months, we have hired a lot of very good uh, caliber lawyers, all, all super qualified, actually. That, that's amazing. And it speaks to this new wave of talent and what people are looking for from work. It's such a big part of our lives that, especially if you're someone who has the ability to have the impact of a lawyer, but also be able to work in an environment that's agile and it's a startup and it's something new that's very fulfilling and exciting for them, I'm sure. From different perspectives, actually, is the piece that you mentioned about the customer service who is doing this so often and they become so skilled at it is within Seed Legals, this education piece formalized or is it a natural outcome of of how the business is being run? Well, it's a natural outcome, I would say. One, because as I said, uh, the process itself is taking you through a list of questions. Uh, and uh, not only you have explanation uh, in the bottom of each question, but also we have uh, intercom if you want to. We encourage people to ask their questions, basically, uh, which is the opposite of a law firm. In, in, in a law firm, if you, have a, if you have an entrepreneur who has some question on their personal situation, uh, they won't be able to ask the question because otherwise they will be charged personally uh, rather than the company paying, etc. So for us, we, we're very relaxed. The price doesn't change with the number of, by the number of questions. We have a price which is fully transparent. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 so, and so basically, uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we are able to... Uh, to uh, to address any question, so by chat, by intercom, with the customer service team when when people are asking questions to the customer service team, and when the questions are a bit more elaborate, to the to the legal team who is able to, uh, to 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 address those questions. So the combination of an exhaustive process, which is putting you in a in a mold, and the ability to ask questions when you don't understand anything in that in that in that process. Is, is completely an, edu an education uh, process. And it's really interesting because an entrepreneur who has already done uh, a, a funding uh, round uh, uh, you know, uh, before, they come to see legals and in no time they're done. You know? And they don't, ask, they, they don't ask us questions. They, they have done it before, they understand it. Those who do it for the first time, it's it's really uh, overwhelming because you know you you have suddenly all those terms that are technical that you don't understand what they are, and you don't know whether you got it right and uh, and whether suddenly uh, you're going to lose half your company. Uh, so so you need to be able to ask those questions, right? You you need that, and and there is a lot of stress generated in uh, in the process of a fundraising document because you're going to put your signature. There are big numbers. And, 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 and there is a lot of stress and, and being able to remove that stress, but making it easy because they understand the platform and they can ask questions and we answer them. It means we remove the stress and, and, uh, and we're able to build confidence uh, and trust, you know, thanks to this approach actually. How are you able to establish yourself as a trusted brand that entrepreneurs and investors can rely on? Well, from day one, as always, it's a, uh, you know, it's basically, you know, I, I, ha I have some gray hair. So the good <laughs> news with gray hair is normally you have, you have learned something. So, and when you've learned something in one industry, 
you're thinking about the product and that, and there's probably maybe a bit more chance that you you'll get the product right the first time so we were lucky enough that uh, when we launched our product it was a good product to market fit uh, so of course we needed to go through that experience curve and add the thing that we're missing etc uh, mm -hmm. and probably the first six months we did a lot of that um, but uh, uh, so so being being able to uh, to get the product right is uh, uh, is the key. Then, when you have happy customers, it's very easy because uh, you know whether you look at um, the NPS, the Net Promoter Score, which was through the roof. We were in the seventy-five to eighty uh, level, wow. which is very high. Um, and uh, the entrepreneur community is a viral community, so they, when they're happy, they talk to each other. So, so this is uh, this is helping tremendously. There is also dedication. Uh, a lot of people know Anthony, my co-founder, who uh, who is uh, devoted to the customer, and uh, at any time, he, at two in the morning, uh, he's uh, still there answering uh, <laughs> answering customers. So, uh, you know, people. It shows when when people and when the culture of the company is really there to help the customer, and and that's basically. Uh, our goal is to help startup. Uh, to uh, our goal is to make them to make their work easy. So, uh, so far, so good. Yeah, and so, and I'm sure your experience too contributes to that passion and that your frustration in the past and your gray hairs are what motivates these. Not, not all of them. <laughs> not yet. When you look for building out the team as you expand and especially if into new market units that maybe you don't know the you don't have the same local connections how how would you look for talent in those new areas well you have two ways to do it and uh, to, to be honest it's the first time i did i i did, I did it but uh, uh, one way is to go for top caliber people from day one uh, and then it's very expensive at the beginning, uh, but you have people who know what they're doing. Uh, or two is uh, you you take more junior people at the beginning, uh, and you, uh, you 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 get better at understanding your customer needs, and uh, and 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 then you grow the team. But when you take the second approach, which is what we did, uh, there there is a. a, a, a a number, a size of organization. Like when we reach 15, you realize that you need to have more management in the uh, in the organization. So you you add one manager in one area, and then when you go towards 60, uh, you need to have managers throughout the organization. Uh, and managers are people who manage people, right? It's uh, they they are smart, etc. But but the the key goal is to uh, hire. Uh, organize, motivate uh, the, the people, and and this is essential uh, when you scale. Because when you move to fifteen people, it starts being a lot of people to uh, it's 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 too many direct reports, so you can't cope. Uh, the founders can't cope, so that's why you need to have at least one manager to 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 help you. And when you when you move into sixty people, you need you need several, right? Uh, normally, you can't have more than six direct reports per person per manager, so. Uh, so it's very important to know exactly when you're going to need to add management skills and to have them uh, and to have them. 
at the right time because otherwise you're, you, you, you could be scaling and suddenly end up in chaos um, because suddenly people are not managed. Yeah, and people lose direction as well. And, and so we, we're lucky because we, uh, we brought, uh, uh, you know, uh, we had a, a CTO who managed uh, his team from the beginning. He was part of the, fund, the funding team. Um, and, and we brought some uh, uh, people in the customer facing team uh, and, and the COO uh, who have done a fantastic job in, uh, in managing. Uh, and now in the legal team, we have a management skill. So we have management skills throughout the, the organization. And as you hire new managers, how do you continue the culture that you and your co-founders have established? I guess this is our personality, right? So, so hopefully, uh, uh, if we have, if we're able to, if we have some personality, I get, I get, I guess some aspects of it are, are still going to, to, uh, to prevail in the company. But it's also the, the, you know, the the people we hire. Generally, there is a good fit, a good culture, cultural fit with the people we hire. So they, they also there to, uh, to push that uh, that culture. But there, but there are something where you know, like uh, being dedicated to the customer, being pre precise, being accurate, which is part of the, part of our, our of our culture, which I, I don't think you know you would survive uh, not having that uh, state of mind uh, at the legal. And it's also a form of magnetism, where as you expand your team and everyone is true to themselves and true to see legals, it attracts the right kind of talent and is a natural fit for some of the hiring process. So yes, so you, you hire uh, one great person and another great person, and then they have to build the team below them and they hire because they also had a previous experience and, uh, and they hire great people. And so it's, it's really important to spend time on, uh, on, on, uh, on hiring the right people because they, they then are going to, to do the job for you in, in, each, in each department, right? So. Uh, so yes, absolutely. So you mentioned that you went with the approach of hiring less experienced people and then nurturing them to grow the team from there. And so how did you as leaders encourage that growth or encourage that learning curve amongst the team? Well, first, we were founders with gray hair. So, uh, Anthony uh, is a Anthony is a co-founder. He's a um, has a he's a CEO entrepreneur. Uh, I was on the investor side, so the two of us we understood the the entrepreneurial ecosystem quite well. Uh, the CTO was there from day one, and we had a senior lawyer from day one as well. So it's not it's not completely uh, rookies, right? So then. Um, as the organization grow automatically, and that's where again managers is essential. As the organization grow, you have uh, people are being promoting and uh, promoted, and they start managing their own team. And and so yes, we need we need to 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 have people um, to to give opportunities to people to go up and to do more and to do different things if they want to do. So we have people who have moved from one department to another, uh, but uh, paying attention to uh, uh, to people, to, to, to people's happiness in their job, in their daily job is very important. And I think it's also a great example of the ripple, ripple effect of 
established expertise where you had previously been an investor and entrepreneur as well. When you have that expertise and you're able to share it out to a wider team, it only enhances the entire ecosystem. Yeah, because you know when when you build a product, normally you you want to uh, put yourself in the shoes of the customer. So our customers, they are investors, entrepreneurs, directors, uh, option holders, shareholders, right? And uh, you know, I've been in the in, in the shoes of each of those of those character, and in, and including now an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur. So there are things that uh, I do for for ourselves, uh, and that become product for our customers. So I experience them firsthand. I experience some frustration, and I think. Wow, this is something which is a bit of a headache. Uh, it would be great if we could uh, sort that for for entrepreneurs, for everyone, right? Um, mm. So it's very important to to have uh, to have uh, uh, been wearing uh, a number of caps. And throughout your different roles, you've seen the same cycles of creating a term sheet working with the the leadership team to hire new employees um, and many of these milestones that require legal support from your different perspectives could you maybe talk about some of the key patterns that you've noticed that have helped to inform the product direction of seed legals well when uh, interestingly enough having uh, an understanding of how investors think when you sell a product for entrepreneurs, uh, is 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 very is very use, useful. So you can you 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 can build uh, uh, the right question. You can anticipate what the right answers should be. So what is the range of possible solution that you're going to offer? So that's uh, that has been that has been extremely helpful. Then being being an investor uh, or having been an investor when I go and pitch to investors it, it's also easier because I I, I, I was in that in that position so I know the question they were going to ask and uh, and and I, I know what to look for in the in the positive things about the company so that, that's that's also a very so having been an investor is is clearly uh, very helpful. I think you know there is a, a kind of ri rivalry, not rivalry, but a kind of opposition between entrepreneur and and investors, um, which shouldn't be there, uh, because you know I was a VC, then I was a, I was an angel. I'm the same person, uh, always trying to help the company and push the valuation up. And I think investors, generally speaking. Uh, that's what they're trying to do. So they, they're not enemies of the uh, of the entrepreneurs. So be, being being aware that uh, uh, they're not enemies, um, making make it easier to to try to bridge the differences. Where do you think that that assumption comes from? Well, it comes from the fact that you are on opposite side of the tables. So when you're a business angel, you're on the the opposite side of the table on day one. But generally, you're not going to follow uh, for the rest of the life of the company, uh, so you're going to be completely aligned with um, with uh, the entrepreneur. But when you're a VC, and if you're a VC who is going to follow round after round, there could be, uh, you know, in the negotiation, some frictions because you're going to want some some terms or you go or some conditions that are not necessarily in favor of the uh, entrepreneur. 
uh, and and that's what's creating the friction. But normally, as soon as the deal is closed and signed, we're back in business, both shooting in the right direction because the next round is in every everybody's interest to push the valuation up. Uh, the VC, the existing VC, has every interest in pushing the valuation up, like the entrepreneur. So we all align, except when uh, you have um, uh, people on opposite side of the table. So it's it's just at the time of the of the of the of the negotiation that there there are frictions. Then with seed legals, it's yet another person who would have been that middle person. So a lawyer is now more of a neutral, automated tool that allows both sides to see where they're coming from. Yeah, that that is trying to promote uh, fairness because and sometimes you know there are things that entrepreneurs uh, uh, push which are not necessarily fair. Uh, some entrepreneurs behave with friends and family in a way which is not fair because you know friend and family is often the worst round you can you you can make so it means that uh, the entrepreneur are not behaving fairly with them right and the, the same way uh, sometimes you have VCs that don't behave fairly with business angels uh, because they don't want to give them certain rights and it doesn't make sense you invest in the same instrument you should all be uh, a line having, you know, you invest at the same time, you should all have the same instrument with the same rights, right? So, so I think it's, it's trying to put uh, light on, uh, on, 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 on what is fair. And uh, when you understand the terms, you understand what's fair and what's not fair. And generally speaking, right now, we are in, uh, we are in a time where investors are fair, often with difficulties they become a little bit less fair, but uh, so far it looks like uh, uh, investors are behaving. And generally, they start being nasty in, on the, uh, in the US first. <laughs> of course. And, and so those of us who maybe are listening and haven't gone through an investment round and or fundraising, but are considering it, when you say that... A, the terms are fair. What are some of the top things that should be considered from both sides to to make a successful or fair uh, negotiation? Well, generally speaking, you know, once the price is, is agreed and uh, and once you have a sense of the uh, respective ownership of the parties, uh, then you're going to look at uh, you know voting rights. You're going to look uh, so not uh, most of the time. Uh, everyone is going to have voting rights, and you're going to look at um, a board representation. And normally, you should expect that the board is representing the shareholders, so that the dynamic on the board reflects what the dynamics would be among shareholders. Because otherwise, it's a, it's a waste of time. You know, if uh, if you have a board that decides one way and shareholders that decide another way, it's it's not very it's not very constructive. So, so generally, the the ownership is really uh, uh, triggering uh, all the the kind of uh, politics. Uh, you know, uh, veto rights, board seats, board rights. Uh, uh, you know, investor director uh, rights, etc. Then. Uh, from an economic perspective, uh, you have uh, this, uh, you know, liquidation preference. Uh, you have uh, anti-dilution protection. So, which uh, today, because there are lots of EIS and SEIS in the UK, 
um, you um, uh, you can't have EIS and SEIS with uh, anti-dilution. So, so, so very often uh, you, in very early stage, you don't have anti-dilution protection. You do when you have VC who come in, they, 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 because they, don't, they often don't have SEIS uh, benefits. They go for the anti-dilution, which is a kind of uh, uh, replacement, uh, you know, downside protection, the same way EIS and SEIS uh, is. But then on the liquidation preference, you know, you, you're looking at, at how the proceeds are paid upon an exit or a liquidation of the company. And uh, uh, generally speaking, I think it's fair that people get back the money they invested. But as soon as they, but no more. So, so, so you know, so what's called the non-participating liquidation preference is something which I believe is completely fair from, from uh, both the investor and the entrepreneur side. To touch on as well exit, how, how does Seed Legals help to for a company to make their exits or how does it work for... Um... Well, so we are a young company, we are four years old and our clients are generally, uh, you know, start the relationship with us uh, when they're a very young company at the very early stage and uh, it generally takes more than seven years to exit. So it happens, but uh, we, we don't have uh, clients who generally are at, in exit mode. Um, that being said, what we want to do is, um, uh, this, is this is a product we will be working on because uh, it's also a near standard uh, product. And uh, there are a lot of exits, unfortunately, that are not, that are not the, the most beautiful exits, right? The hundreds of millions or unicorn or whatever. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of companies are not are not getting there, and and probably the vast majority of companies are 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 having small exits, uh, if not distress sales, uh, if not uh, voluntary liquidation. So that part of the exit process um, is something we need to manage. So that, that those are some of the the new areas we would work on uh, on in the in the future. So being able to, especially for SMEs. Um, you know, being able to, uh, uh, if you are founders who are generally SMEs are slightly different. They, they, you have founders who have been working for an SME for many, many years, and then suddenly they retire and they're going to uh, want to sell. To the, so be, uh, allowing them to sell their shares, so potentially in a secondary sale, or to do, you know, a small sale, a small uh, trade sale. Um, but that will, you know, I, I think the same way uh, we can cope with, uh, uh, you know, big enough uh, funding round, we could cope on, uh, we, we could cope with a small like 10 million exit without any problem, right? I'm sure that if it is a, a 200 million exit, people would still go to law firm, uh, you know, at this stage, it will change, it will, it, but it will take a little bit of time before we, we're doing the unicorn sell, right? We often hear is that it's harder to scale in Europe than in the U.S., something like this, where where with seed legals, it's automating that scaling process with the the different law requirements in different regions. I think that's a huge boost to being able to grow and scale quickly. Well, normally you do your funding around in one country, so that's if you're a UK company, you will do your funding around in UK law. If you're in fr a French, so so the funding round is going to be done. 
uh, only in one country, so you don't need to internationalize. Uh, you see what I mean? The inter internationalization of funding round is not uh, a prerequisite for for our for our client. I'd like to come back on uh, uh, what what you say when you say you you it's more difficult to scale in Europe. Yes, because the U.S. is one homogeneous market, but Europe. Um, is a, is a bigger market, uh, you, know, you could argue. Um, and two, uh, once you are doing the work uh, in Europe, because of the language barriers and the differences in every country, then the barriers to entry are much higher. So it's, you struggle more to build it, but it's easier to protect, uh, to, to defend once you've built it in, uh, in, in Europe. Now, uh, in terms of internationalization, um, you know, of a client using the seed legal product to scale, I think that currently we, we you know, we're not there yet because even if a, if, if a company has a few employees, uh, you know, outside of the UK, they already, when, when they are at that stage, they're already a big company. What's interesting in terms of the internationalization is when you think about putting people in relation between entrepreneurs and investors. Um, investors uh, will have appetite for more geographies. Actually, it's actually part of their, of their rule book should be to diversify their portfolio, to diversify across sectors, but to diversify across geographies. So when you go international, you give access to a diversified portfolio, potentially to, to, uh, to investors, so that's very good. And then uh, secondly, uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective, uh, in some countries, it's more difficult to find investors and uh, uh, having access to um, uh, UK investors, where, you know, which is the biggest uh, investment place in uh, Europe, you know, uh, uh, or American investor is, is something which is very appealing. So I think that when, when we think about uh, future geographies, we will also think about uh, how can it, how is it uh, relevant for UK investors to have uh, uh, to, to have a look at deals in uh, in different geographies. So we know that for the VCs, it's already the case. So internationalization for the VCs uh, will be very relevant because for them, they also have a, you know, a, uh, their home is the UK and Sweden uh, is something very different and France is something very different. So the help we can provide in those countries by having done many, many deals is, is also actually very relevant for them. So, so we know um, that the diversification of the portfolio is done already with them. But I think it will, it will progressively come at the, at the angel level as well. You, you, you see more and more angel uh, money uh, available to invest in uh, in uh, in startups and i think uh, this is a trend that will uh, that will get stronger and stronger yeah and i i see the angel growing as well and i hope maybe i can be an angel for some startups eventually as well <laughs> but laurent this was such a great conversation and it was great to jump much deeper into seed legals and so i will share with our listeners the link to your website so that they can learn more and thank you so much for joining thank you for having me this episode is brought to you by grow by sap a program designed for hyper growth company needs to power tomorrow today
to learn more, check the link in the show notes.